This Sunday, our gospel passage from the first few verses of Luke chapter 10 begins with the words, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him. What we have to do now is a bit of like when you are watching a TV series and something happened in the last episode that you need to know for this episode to make sense. Whenever there's one episode built on a previous episode, the people in charge of the TV series add a couple of brief moments from earlier scenes in previous episode in what is referred to as a recap. That way, whether you saw the previous show and maybe forgot the bits that will be important, or if you happen to miss the early episode and need to see those important moments for the first time, now you have them. You're all caught up. With a starting sentence to our passage like, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, we as a congregation need a recap. We all need a moment to have the question answered, After what? After what question, the after what question is answered with a quick recap of last week's gospel passage. Last week, various people came and claimed to want to follow Jesus, but they all wanted to follow Jesus someday, just not today. They all said, in one way or another, Jesus, I'm going to follow you but only after I do everything that I want to do for me first. After this, after being confronted by followers who were not really followers, Jesus sent out 72 other people, people who really did want to follow Jesus and were ready to commit right there and right then. Jesus takes these 72 others other people and says to them, okay, everyone, we have a mission to accomplish. Jesus is sending his disciples out to spread the gospel. Jesus says, the field is ready to harvest, but the laborers are few. I need more people in the field to do the work. This sounds okay. It might be hard work and some may wish to shirk it, but it's only hard work. Nobody has ever drowned in their own sweat so everything should be okay. Then, Jesus lets us in on the rest of the story. You are going out among the wolves. This is going to be dangerous. Cyril of Alexandria, he was active in writing in the church between the years 375 and 444. He asked, how then does Jesus command the holy apostles who are guiltless men, guileless men, and if we may so speak, sheep, so to seek the company of wolves and go to them of their own accord. Is not the danger manifest? Are they not set up as ready prey for the attack? How can a sheep prevail over a wolf? How can one so peaceful vanquish the savageness of beasts of prey? These are obviously all good questions. We have to answer those later. Because next, Jesus says, you cannot carry any money. Who travels today without a credit card and a little cash? When I'm carrying my wallet, when I'm out and about, I have U.S. currency, I've got British currency, I've got euros in my wallet. 
doesn't matter where I'm likely to be, I can at least get a cup of coffee with a few euro or a few pound and figure out what I'm going to do next. Next, Jesus says, you cannot bring any stuff. Who would leave the country without any supplies? Even when on pilgrimage, even when I have only the absolute essentials because I have to carry them in a pack, I at least carry a few basic items in my backpack. Who would go anywhere without any supplies whatsoever? And then there's some more. You have to go barefoot. This really is demanding. No sandals to protect your feet on a long journey. Who would agree to such a thing? Who would walk more than a few minutes outside in stone and dirt path without protecting their feet? Finally, you are not allowed to talk to anyone on the way. Unless you are an absolute introvert, how can you make a long journey without talking to anyone? Before the disciples ever start their missionary effort, Jesus lays out five demands upon them that would make many, if not most, refuse to go. He didn't tell the disciples that they were to go and do more with less, as business people like to say today. He told the disciples, you have to go and do more with nothing. How could Jesus motivate them to go? Was it force? Was it fear? That is what many would expect. To get a person to do something that is unpleasant, harsh, uncomfortable, dangerous, or anything else we do not want to endure typically requires that the alternative is worse. When I was in basic training as a 17-year-old private, yes, that was more than a few days ago, the drill sergeant asked us if we knew why soldiers had to go to basic training. Those of us that were gathered around gave the typical answers. Learn to shoot, learn to march, learn first aid, learn all those soldier tasks that must be constantly practiced and developed to maintain a fighting edge. He looked at us and said we were all wrong. All of those things are important, but could be trained at our unit, could be trained anywhere. In fact, all of those things are trained throughout the Army at every duty location to maintain proficiency. In fact, the Army operated for many years without any kind of formalized basic training. Soldiers just reported to their first unit of assignment, and then they were trained there. It was not until 1940 that the U.S. Army decided to have soldiers all trained together prior to reporting to their first duty station. The question this creates is, if from 1775 until 1940 there was no basic combat training for all soldiers coming into the army, why do we need it? What is it for? Well, according to Drill Sergeant Hart, who was asking that day at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, basic training was designed to make sure that a soldier was more afraid of saying no to a sergeant than he was of running full speed into battle. Drill Sergeant Hart and all of his Fort Sill Drill Sergeant colleagues advocating motivation through force and fear. Once while in England, I was able to obtain a Sergeant Major swagger stick. The guy in the museum shop made the comment, perfect for the Sergeant Major, 
swinging it at soldiers, yelling, do this, don't do that, hurry up, double time, get to it, put your backs into it, and a few other comments that were less generous as to the parentage of the sergeant majors he had known. Motivation from force and fear. A thinly veiled threat of physical violence, swinging the stick as commands are called. If you do not want to do something, if it is likely to be painful or worse, then force and fear become important motivators. Jesus said you are headed into danger. Pack no money, pack no bag, go barefoot, and do not talk to anybody. I can hear those disciples who are gathered around thinking to themselves, Thank you, but no thank you. Would you mind multiplying some more bread and fish? The very thought of this mission is making me a little hungry. Instead, what did Jesus hear? Was it sniveling? Was it a refusal to take up the mission? Was it the sound of disciples whistling as they looked around and pretended not to hear? Did Jesus have to take up a stick and yell, Hey, you, get to it, hurry up, double time, put your backs into it? No. Apparently, the only thing Jesus heard was the sound of obedient disciples headed off on the mission. Go and proclaim peace upon every house that welcomes you. Receive the kindness and provisions offered to you from those who accept the gospel. Heal the sick and pronounce the kingdom of God is at hand. Do not worry about those that reject your message. Dust off your feet and move on. God the Father will deal with them in their refusal to hear the gospel. It is a straightforward task with a very challenging conditions for the sake of meeting God's standards and they did it without hesitation. Not out of force, not out of fear, but out of love for God known through Jesus the Son. Napoleon Bonaparte commented on the difference between force and fear when he said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is, between Christianity and whatever other religions, the distance of infinity. His religion is a revelation from an intelligence which certainly is not that of man. The religion of Christ is a mystery which subsists by its own force and proceeds from a mind which is not a human mind. We find in it a marked individuality which originated a train of words and action unknown before. Jesus is not a philosopher, for his proofs are miracles. And from his first, and from the first, his disciples adored him. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But upon what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. But Jesus Christ founded his upon love, and at this hour millions of men would die for him. An empire, a kingdom, the kingdom, built upon love. The kingdom of God is built upon the love of God towards us in that while we were dead in sin and trespass, God made the way for us to be reconciled in him. The kingdom of God is then spread by the love of its citizens, Christians, for their king, Jesus, doing whatever it takes to spread his message of peace, to spread the gospel even when the conditions seem impossible. And to do so willingly, not by force, not by fear, 
but by love. Then what happens? What happens when Christians answer Jesus' call? The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Cyril of Alexandria explained, For they all have Jesus as their shepherd, small and great, people and princes, teachers and taught. Jesus will be with them and aid them, deliver them from all evil, tame the savage beast, change the wolves into sheep, make the persecutors become the helpers of the persecuted and those who wrong Jesus' ministers will be made sharers in their own pious design. For I make and unmake all things and there is nothing that can resist my will. The disciples said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus responded to his disciples, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is a great passage. It tells a terrific story of what the disciples did back then. Now we must ask, what should disciples, what should Christians do today? Do we give up everything, even our shoes? That is a call few would answer. Do we provide for those who have answered that call, as few as they are? The world is full of Christian missionaries that rely on people like you and me to provide for their support and fund their missionary effort. Which choice is right for you? That is the question that only you can answer after asking it in prayer. The one thing that is true of every Christian is that it is our task, our mission, to help spread the gospel one way or another. Find your way to answer God's call and answer it willingly. Not out of force, not out of fear, but out of love. For you all have Jesus as your shepherd, small and great, people and princes, teachers and students. Jesus will be with you, help you, deliver you from all evil. Jesus will tame the savage beasts before you. Jesus will change wolves into sheep. And Jesus will make the persecutors become the helpers of the persecuted. And you will hear Jesus tell you, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen.